I'm Mike Brilla, host of the Inspired Teacher Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another wonderful episode of My EdTech Life. Thank you so much for joining us on this beautiful Saturday morning or afternoon, or it may be well into Sunday, depending of where you are in this world, but wherever it is that you're tuning in from and joining us from or listening from, thank you so much, as always, for making My EdTech Life what it is today. As you know, our mission, our vision, and our passion is to connect with like-minded educators, with creators, and connecting everyone one show at a time. And I am so excited about today's show because this connection has been truly one that has been wonderful. John, who's joining us here today, has been somebody that has been so helpful, not only through my Google Innovator journey, but just also as my as an instructional technologist with you know the work that he does, and not only for the company that he works for, but really just also for teacher practice. So I'm really excited today to really pick John Neal's brain, who's joining us this morning. John, how are you this morning? I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me here today, Fonz. It's a real pleasure to be with you and joining everyone else. Hello. Hey, awesome. And we've got Mel who's joining us here. Of course, Mel from Colombia. Thank you so much, Mel, for joining us and in this chat as always. So John, just let's go ahead and get started because there's so much that we definitely want to talk about. And we definitely, as we know, the education landscape has taken, you know, a turn, you know, it's changed. We went from virtual back to brick and mortar. And then of course, now we are also talking about and facing some challenges that may be out there. And of of course, me being here on the U.S. side and you being across the pond in the U.K., I definitely want to hear your perspectives as well. But before we get into that, my favorite thing to do here, John, on the show is every guest that I have, it's they're like a hero to me. And of course, every superhero has an origin story. So, John, if you can go ahead and give us a you know a little introduction and then we'll go ahead and get started and dive in into your education journey. So John, let us know a brief intro and your context in education. Sure. Well, I think it's, I think it's really important. First of all, for us to say that you are a massive hero of my own and I know that many others out there. So again, a huge thank you for, for inviting me along today and this afternoon. As you say, I'm based in the UK. I started my teaching journey in the kind of mid 2000s, so around 2004, 2005. Before that, I was an accountant and a basketball player and with kind of some mixed success on the court. And then, as I say, jumping into accountancy, realized that it wasn't for me. And then I spoke to someone, my best friend's dad, and I'd never met anyone fond that was as passionate about their work as this guy. And he was a PE teacher, director of sports, actually, at a school, which was fairly local to me. And sports always been close to my heart and developing passion in student and physical literacy. So it all worked out and pretty quickly within a few months, I found myself as a trainee PE teacher down the South coast of England, where I still live and had a great time at that school. And as my journey progressed about 2014, I started to appreciate the value of technology, not only from the perspective of great to be learning computer science, some engineering skills, but what if we were to slightly rethink how we might use tech as part of our whole school view on student fluency across their both physical and digital landscape. So I became a digital lead, threw myself into Google, having become an innovator and a trainer and Apple Distinguished Educator, but it was always with a view funds. And I know that you're someone that feels like this very much as well is making sure that whatever the tool is that we are thinking about and giving consideration to is that it's for a purpose, that it's solving a problem, that it's making something better. And it's not just a case of I'm using a tool because I like this tool. And so, yeah, and I worked at a school in London for four or five years. And at the beginning of 2021, I joined the team at Moat, and this is where I am today as the vice president of education on a super small team, but quite a powerful team, I like to think. 
Oh, no, that's wonderful. And I love that story. And of course, we're going to, there's so much there to unpack. So we're definitely going to go back again and just starting that journey. But I really love to hear, you know, you know, as every guest comes in, I love to hear that story because it often surprises me that, you know, some of the best educators that are out there, you know, also necessarily didn't go the traditional education path. And then, of course, you've got wonderful educators across the board, but it's always great to hear that story. So when I heard that you went into accountancy, I was like, oh, man, there's so much more <laughs> we have because I went in as, you know, marketing and doing marketing and business. And then I transitioned into education and again, you know, absolutely fell in love with it and been doing it for 16 years. So I definitely want to unpack all of that too as well. But uh, so let's go ahead and get started with that. So now, obviously education was not your first step or your first intent to go into, but like you mentioned, you know, you said, well, this, this is, this quite isn't for me. Can you describe just a little bit of your journey? You know, maybe I guess from high school on, like what it was really in your mind that you wanted to do. Yeah, I think to be honest, I think I'd be lying if I said that when I was in high school, if I had a definitive plan of where I saw myself. I always loved sports. I always loved that as an outlet for me. It was a, it was a way that I was able to meet some of my best friends and many of those I, I'm still in touch with to this day. And I guess that I thought, oh, it'd be wonderful to be a professional athlete. And that was kind of something that I sort of semi-pursued. Basketball in England isn't quite as big as it is out in the US. So probably slightly different challenges. And I think I, I kind of, I think one, one of the things I'm really passionate about is that I think that we are all on this escalator, you know, that we sort of go through life, through school, through elementary, through high school, through university, and we end up in a career. And I think to be honest, Fonz, is that I had found myself on that career path and I hadn't really ever considered perhaps there was an opportunity or options outside of my sort of predetermined, predetermined flight path. And so I found myself in, in a role that I was fairly good at as an accountant, but it kind of lent on my maths and various other things and data, but there was something about it that just didn't feel like it was a good fit for me. I worked with some wonderful people and I know that they're probably still having a great time working with Deloitte is who I was at. But for me, Fonz, it felt like there was something that I needed to do differently. And something over here in the UK at the time. There was a national campaign that was on the TV, that was in public transport, lots of posters. And its whole mission was those who can teach. And it was one of those things. I just kept saying it. And I was like, do you know what? There's something to this. There's something to this teaching idea. And as I say, it was when I met this, this father of a really good friend of mine, and it kind of felt like it, it was meant to happen. And. Just as you said, it, it's something when you're an educator and when you're passionate about education, it's something that you always have. And I think that there, there are lots of really exciting questions about education, what school for, et cetera. And it's been a real privilege to be a part of that landscape for the best part of two decades now. Awesome. Well, I want to know now also as well is my transition I, at least when I transitioned into education, I felt that it was rather smooth just in the fact that, again, I had a lot of math under my belt. So, you know, it just was natural where they're like, well, we see that you're marketing, but you have a lot of math and we need math teachers. So we're going to just, you know, throw you into math. And I was like, okay, I'm good. And, you know, luckily I had a couple of teachers there that were great mentors and have helped me and guided me and so on. So I want to know a little bit about your transition, that first step into the classroom, what grade was it that you were teaching? What subject, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that and how maybe John Neal now, what would be the best advice you'd give John Neal at the beginning of your teaching career? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, that that's a wonderful question. I think, so I started off in PE. So I perhaps didn't have the typical background of a PE teacher having come straight out of accountancy. I did play, as I say, I played a fair bit of basketball before and, and actually some of the best teachers and some of the teachers that I still take inspiration from were those, were those basketball coaches I had in my formative years. I was kind of, there's one in particular, Jimmy Guyman, who I've to this day, still never met anyone that knows as much about one subject as him. And it was because of his passion fonts. And I think that 
So I was kind of trying to take all these lessons. And yes, obviously I was going through my teacher training program and I loved it too, because I was doing a very hands-on course, something that was called the graduate teacher program that sadly no longer quite exists in that same format these days. But it was great because it meant that from day one, I was in the class and I was making mistakes and I was learning from those mistakes. And I can remember being a super nervous, like 20 something in a secondary school PE classroom, which isn't for everyone, their favorite subject. And sometimes with 15 and 16 year olds, they would prefer to be doing other things. So there were lots of challenges, not only in the delivery of the subject and the content that I was very passionate about, but trying to convince these bright minds that, that there was merit in engaging in their PE lessons as much as there was with others. And I think I did an okay job. I probably could have done better, but it was a fun process once. Oh man, that is wonderful. So I could just definitely imagine that. And like, again, you said it's the mistakes that we learn so much. And I think oftentimes, and even more so now, I think a lot of teachers, at least from what I see, they're just so scared to make that mistake, you know, or they just don't have the recovery, you know, maybe we could do a lot better for induction and mentoring just to help teachers that understand that it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to make mistakes. And like my friend, Al Kingsley, who was on the show said like maybe over a year ago, who said, you know, mistakes and failures, they're, they're stepping stones to success. And I've definitely taken that he said to heart that even now, 16 years in education, yeah, you know, I make a mistake and hey, okay, no worries. We're good. Let's just continue moving forward. And I think that's so important, you know, in the learning process, but to understand that it's something that is natural and that will happen and not to really just get down on yourself for making those mistakes and, you know, just recover quickly on that. John, let me ask you now then, okay, so going into PE, you know, and the love for tech and getting into you know, now technology and the, seeing its benefits and how it can help students. Where did that all start and for you? So funnily enough, I can actually pinpoint the exact moment that I stumbled across different ways of doing things. And we had one of those spreadsheets funds that was on our school shared drive. It was the K drive. I never forget. That's what it was called. And and one of the things that we had to do on a regular basis, just like teachers all over the world, was complete the data for that week or that fortnight or whatever it was. And it was locked for editing. And the next time I went in, someone else was still on it and it was still locked for editing. And I can remember thinking there must be a better way that I don't have to wait for all 73 other teachers to get out of this spreadsheet just so I can be inputting it myself. And that's how I first came across uh, what was then, I think, goodness, G Suite, Google Suite, Google, like, oh, maybe it's Google Apps actually then. And I just immediately, not from the spreadsheet perspective, but immediately saw that this new means of providing teachers and students, I think as much, if not more importantly, with a easy means by which they could collaborate in a different space. And at the same time, like, was really exciting to me. And I went on a Google training course. There happened to be one fortuitously that was being held not a million miles away from me. So I could, so I jumped on the train and went to that and I was blown away by what some people were doing. And one of the reasons as well, that I particularly became a fan of Google's tools and still am today is because what they're so good at is providing that early entry is kind of relatively low barrier. You know, the tools are there, they're quite, quite intuitive, but what they allow users to do is to create add-ons and extensions and various other things that can really enhance and transform the way that we use these tools. And for me, as I say, like the kind of big light bulb moment was using technology for collaboration and for teamwork and for that, for the process of ideation, as opposed to like, I'm signing into my computer, this is my file and full stop so so that was really for me it was the opening the floodgates to thinking and more than this maybe there are other tools out there i really became a fan of watching and being a student of all sorts of webinars that were available that were on youtube that were on other platforms and reaching out to people and that's also how I became, how I joined as a teacher was to try to connect with people who, because sometimes in a position where we might work with wonderful people in our own learning communities, but being able to, to connect instantly with people on the other side of the world and to sort of 
it's a bit of a cliche, but to find your tribe, I found really empowering and really exciting. And yeah, that, that was, it's strange to say, but that was eight years ago. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But you know, that's the way it starts. And I love the, that passion because for myself, that's all it took. I mean, I was worked three years as a high school algebra teacher, but then when I moved down to elementary, that's really when I started honing my tech skills and really having the time and the opportunity to experiment. And let's go like, you know, put it out there for the kids, you know, not knowing full on 100% what I was doing, but we're all learning together and building that community. Also, that really helped so much. And again, just the tools that we were using at that time, um, I think are district was using like Edmodo. So we were using Edmodo for that, but then discovered uh, Google apps for education at that time. That's what it was called, you know, and then started using that with the students and man, it just made a huge difference in the way that I taught the way that the students presented and the way that the students learned. And it was just wonderful to see those light bulb moments with the students and being able to share you know, documents, being able to share presentations. And that's something that is definitely beneficial. And even for me as an adult, like you said, just sitting there learning from people around the Twitter space and just getting on webinars and following people that are already doing this, you know, right before you and they're sharing tips. It really makes a huge difference. That power of connections is definitely big. So I definitely, I'm one of those that encourages people to, you know, get on teacher Twitter, you know, follow teacher TikTok for tips and things of that sort, because there's so much knowledge and out there that we can implement immediately. Yeah. I think that there's so much there, which resonate entirely with me. I think it's, it was also great as me, for me as well, having been a teacher for a while was taking a bit of a lead within my own school because you obviously get the light bulb moments with the students but when you are sharing with teachers and you can share those quick wins or the wins that can that actually allow them to take what might seem a simple idea and teach and allow their students to learn in a very different way that that, that can become totally transformative with the smallest of changes became for me, it was, it was something that I wanted to get more of was this, as you say, that there's an excitement around learning. And I think the reason that was important is because, because I'd been in teaching for a while and I'd sort of felt like I, I wasn't sure my next step was, I knew I didn't want to go down the kind of traditional route of becoming a head of department or doing that thing. So being able to reach all of the community. And one of the things that's great about tech and that I think that as a former tech integrator was. I was super fortunate was being able to have touch points with the learners, with the teachers, with the admin, and also really crucially with the parents, because I think it's such an important part of any learning community. And when they're on board with what you're doing, it doesn't have to be a digital initiative, but when they're on board, suddenly it becomes, it's, it becomes more than just what's going on in school. And it becomes like a community wide effort to really see what's possible. And as I say, very blessed and privileged to be in those roles. Excellent. Well, I want to pick your brain now, at least, you know, when you were doing that role, being that digital lead, you know, working for, I believe, was it a trust that you were working for? Or was it a particular school? So it was house. So when I moved to London, it was house in London International School. Okay. And my, my school before that was, was the Mountbatten Secondary. Okay, excellent. So now one of the things that you mentioned that I absolutely love, and I think that many schools can do so much better at is that that parent communication. So during that time, like you were mentioning, you know, being able to communicate with parents, what were some of your better practices that you found that were very helpful and instrumental to make sure that there's also buy-in? Because I'm a believer in the fact that when you say the word learning community, we do need to include the parents in that. And oftentimes I feel that they get left out a lot. And, you know, it's like your kids are coming to our school. You're the reason that we have students in our seats. Yeah. But oftentimes I feel that they get left out there and not as involved. So what were some of the benefits that you saw and what were some of the things that you did for community outreach? So one of the things that I think worked extremely well for us was that we ran sessions where the parents would come in and they would get hands-on with the tools. And I don't mean like necessarily just learning how to use the tools, but they would learn why we were using the tools. So for example, I might have asked a colleague from the art department to come in to show how they were using the iPad, but in the context of an art classroom, whereas 
you know, maybe one or two of our parental community thought that art was very much physical and how could a digital device come in and support, but actually the way that they were able to capture what they were doing and to, and we used augmented reality, for example, which was much more than just a wow factor. It was actually, it really enabled us to have some really interesting cross-curricular collaborations where we had, for example, going back to an art example, the parents could come in and scan a work of art, and then they would hear a piece of English poetry that was written in another classroom, but speaking to that piece of artwork. And so I think for us is that it was making sure that also when they came to the school, that I gave all of the parents a full, like a digital induction. That doesn't mean that it was like a boot camp, but I would welcome them in and they would go through, they would, you know, have a couple of demo classes delivered by both myself and some really exciting colleagues that were not only happy to come in, but they were proud to come in to show what they were doing. And to, I think that's one of those things as well is yes, I'm more than happy to speak about these tools and the things going on, but when you have that authentic voice and then you bring the students in and they're also sharing and they're excitedly and proudly sharing what they're doing in their classes. I think that's when you can really take a kind of, not that it's token, but you can take almost standoffish parental involvement. And wider community involvement, obviously the wider community doesn't just mean parents, but you can take it to another level where they actually feel part of it. And it would even turn out to, it would evolve into parents that might be in a digital space offering to come in and maybe share how they were using some of the technologies in, in their practice. So yeah, very privileged to be, to be able to do that with the parents. You know, and that's something that it's so well thought out and now it doesn't seem and in my mind because sometimes i oversimplify things but i think it, it's something so simple just that first step in just making that tech available having the parents you navigate much like a student would and that would help them make those connections at home maybe a little bit more parental involvement in the sense of like hey you know are you working on this and then the Students like, oh, how do you know about that? <laughs> oh, well, I learned this. And, you know, a lot of the times we do a Tech Tuesdays with parents that I do. And then so I'll share some tips there, you know, what to look out for, what to see. So sometimes you might have a student that'll say, oh, look, I don't have any homework. I don't have this. I'll say, oh, well, let me show you where you can go and check to see if there are any assignments or not, or, you know, things of that sort. And then we've come back where parents say, Mr. Mendoza, you never guess what I just saw and you never guess what I just did and so on. So it's just the tips to be helpful. But at the same time, I feel the result of that too is more communication at home. You're building relationships. You're familiar with what your son or daughter may be working on and you're able to be informed. And I think that's something that's important and something that can definitely help your learning community, again, outside of your four walls, your brick and mortar to get that additional support. So that's always a huge plus. And again, it just makes it fun to be able to have parents also just feel very welcome that they can come in and they know that they're going to get an experience, you know, and see either their students work or their son or daughter's work or just work that's being done all together and just take that sense of pride. So I really like that a lot. Those are some great ideas and some great uh, stories there that you share, John. So that's wonderful. So let's talk a little bit more now about on the digital integration side and so on. You So you worked with, you know, you did the parents, you did teachers. Also, you helped teachers out integrate some of these technologies. And right now, we have obviously, you know, during pandemic, teachers were, okay, here it is. You're jumping in feet first without any kind of training whatsoever. You get in there and you try and figure it out. And you had people like, you know, Global GEG. You've got other groups that were out there trying to help teachers navigate these waters. Some of them took to it. They felt comfortable. They were like, okay, I can get through. The others were maybe not so much. And, you know, for a lot of them, they're like, you know, this is it. Like it's gotten to that point where I'm, I don't feel comfortable with this at all. We came back brick and mortar, and then we started seeing that tech started being put back. Now, in your eyes as a teacher, you know, and maybe just giving us a perspective, you know, from where you're at in the UK area, was this something that you saw there as well? Was there that feeling of, hey, we're already back. We don't need this anymore. We're just going to go ahead and back to traditional methods. 
Yeah. And I say, yeah, sound a bit sad because I am a little sad about that, Fonz. I think I kind of, COVID was a total disaster, obviously, stating the obvious, but opportunity to, to take the things that were working, those digital, not tricks, but the ways that amazing educators were able to leverage tools in ways that no one had ever thought about before, let alone done before, was just so spectacular. And watching, as you say, all of these communities, people almost instinctively, teachers that had a kind of dormant social media account or Twitter account were going on and searching like, how can I do this? And the response of everyone to help was, was just, was entirely mind blowing. And certainly what I saw, because I was in a school when it was kind of coming back out of lockdown and people were going back, as you say, to their physical buildings. It felt like there was, and in the UK, there was this appetite to go back to normal. You know, it was like, which I understand. And I understand from the perspective of we've been out of the classrooms, out of these buildings for a long time. Let's prioritize the human connection piece. Let's prioritize how do we interact in a classroom, in a school building, in the cafeteria, like really important things in terms of the social element and SEL and from a well-being, both staff and student. But what I, and I know this isn't the case across the board, but there was such a desire to kind of leave COVID behind, very understandably, that almost as part of that, we sort of threw some of those digital pos potential, not only positives, but really powerful ways of teaching and learning and educating and doing all these things. And I think that some of those have probably, we were a bit too hasty to be jumping on and kind of let's go back and do all this. And I wouldn't say that it's a lost course by, by any stretch, but yeah, it's kind of, and I think about my own children and they go to a great school. It's just, it is a case of, right, we're not in lockdown anymore. Devices down, textbooks out, let's do it. And I would always like there to be a purpose. And I think sometimes we worry so much about making sure that there's a purpose behind the tech that we use. And we sometimes assume that because it's always been done this way, we assume that, well, obviously there is a purpose to using textbooks because the answer to me, Fonz, cannot be, well, that's because how, that's how it's always been. Like we cannot just always... We, you can't move forward by, by sitting in a place of comfort, right? And I think that one of that it's going to take some brave people to do some brave things. But if you know of anyone, then I'd be delighted to join the kind of brave group of people that were at least prepared to ask those what if questions. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, no. And, you know, it's interesting to, to get that perspective too, John, because oftentimes it's, you know, I'm hearing really just what I see. And I know even here, some of my other friends in the U.S. also saw that. And to me, in my mind, it, it was kind of like that traumatic experience of maybe like, oh, no, just put those devices away because they bring back that memory of being uncomfortable, bring back that memory of the trouble that I had teaching. And so they oftentimes may see that as like, no, I don't want that because of my experience that I had with it. But again, you know, future of work, the future of learning that you definitely need to develop those technical skills. And like you said, you know, very much so is knowing the tool and the benefit. Now, my take on it is a little different. And so my colleague, you know, he shared an article with me from The Verge. And there was a gentleman, I can't remember, but the main thing that I took away from this is treating technology as an instrument. And so I view apps and applications and platforms as instruments where oftentimes you get people that are jumping on, you know, oh, I want to do this. And because so-and-so is using it, or I get this badge, or I get this and so on. So I'm going to go that, but then, oh no, now I'm going to jump to this. And they use that tool and a tool could be like a hammer. So if you're going to hang a frame, you bring the hammer out in the nail and you use it that one time you hang your nail and that's it. But for myself, I'm a little bit, I go deeper in the sense that I want to know this is an instrument where a musician is going to learn a guitar. They learn the chords, they learn the progressions, they learn how to build melodies, and then they learn how to share those melodies with their students so their students can also, you know, can do some just amazing things and construct, but really go in deep with what is there. And so 
I have also seen that aspect where there has just been an overload of platforms being used that sometimes may do the exact same thing, but because one has maybe one slightly additional whistle, but that doesn't make it, you know, even better, like yeah. that much better for the pedagogy that you're doing. So as a teacher, you know, from that teacher viewpoint, what was your experience with that, you know, and maybe seeing it and even now, you know, maybe from the other lens of John Neal from Mo, yeah. is this something that you see, or I just want to see your thought process, because I'm coming at it from that teacher perspective. And also as an instructional tech, we have certain platforms that we use, but then you've got teachers calling. It's like, hey, how do I troubleshoot this? How do I troubleshoot yeah. this? Well, this isn't something that the district has allowed, but they're out there using all these other things, you know, so can you tell me maybe a little bit about your viewpoint on that? Yeah, I think that one of those things is that we often speak about, or at least it's a topic of conversation over here, which is often the kind of the problems of devices and digital tools and navigating a landscape, which is potentially hazardous. And of course it is potentially hazardous, but I think that we right. Rightfully, everyone is concerned about making sure that we upskill our students in their, not only their digital literacy, but their digital fluency. And as you say, like choosing the right instrument for the right time. And, you know, the right instrument might be an entirely different thing. If I'm making a sandwich, I'm not going to use a violin, you know, but I think that we kind of need to make sure that just like you're saying there is that the learners are super important, them understanding how to use all of these millions of tools out there and being able to navigate through and help them in that decision-making process and how to use them very important. And it's, it, it's so important that as educators, that we are also equipped with the understanding of being able to, as you say, there's a myriad of tools that do very, and then often you have brilliant tools that are hugely similar in what they offer. And sometimes you'll be in a situation where schools have got like both or three of the tools that do largely the same thing and that's not from that's not from a place of anywhere where they're trying to do the wrong thing far from it they're trying to do the right thing and they're trying to be responsive but what sometimes happens as you know Fonz is that if you've got two very similar tools you might think you might jump onto the other tool and then be trying to find out that one whistle that tool x had that tool y perhaps and then it becomes a case of not being about the learning, but about sort of troubleshooting the product. And then you take it into the class and then the biggest takeaway is, well, we're not using that tool again. And it's like, that's not how to use technology. And I think that there are so many things that we could do to sort of streamline processes to not that everything's going to be perfect, but to try to, uh, you know, fail fast rather than fail in a painful way. So, yeah. So, so I think it comes back again to that learners are the most important thing, like their output, like, you know, we put everything into them, but teachers are unbelievably important and giving them the skills and the confidence and the competence is also as important in my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, this year, one of the things that we did do different, at least for our main tier one platforms was the fact that our leadership went out and actually asked teachers, hey, here's a Google form. We've heard your concerns about, you know, this year's tier one, which is the one where we just came back to brick and mortar. It's like, we want to give you a voice and a choice, you know, so what is it that you would like to see? And again, this is not for additional platforms or anything. It's just really for tier one instruction for math, ELA, science, and so on. But I have found that in the, la in the last five years of being in this position, this is the year where teachers have been more open and receptive to the platforms because it wasn't something like, hey, this is what you're going to use and this is what is going to do and that's it. Rather, now it's like, hey, well, I got to vote on this. I got to select. I got to give my input. And then so what was selected as we've rolled it out, obviously, there's some people that some teachers that maybe weren't very happy because their choice wasn't selected. However, because as a whole, it was made, they were like, OK, I'll give it a shot. And it's been different. 
And so I, that's one thing that I know that we did in our district that has really helped out as opposed to just saying, take this and this is yep. the only thing that you're going to use. And so I guess that goes back to also as well is it's important, like you said, you know, make sure that you ask your teachers as well what it is that is out there that they may be using because sometimes even in the district leadership, you think you, and you're trying to do right by them, but yeah. maybe that tool, there's something else out there that a teacher knows of that could do much better or could do the same. And so that line of communication is great rather than just saying, okay, I'm going to tell you exactly what you're going to do. Hey, let me hear what you're doing and how does that work? Because I, we want to make sure that everybody's successful. So that's something that's great. I definitely agree with that. And again, like Amanda says here, she's teacher voice is important in our systems. So that's very well put there. All right. So John, so let's talk a little bit now, you know, as we're kind of winding down the show and everything. So, you know, I've loved your perspectives. I love your passion, love what you've been sharing, you know, through your teacher experience and learning, you know, that you're transitioning from accountancy into education. And now that you've been in education, you know, you've absolutely done some amazing work and especially during pandemic and helping a lot of us leaders, you know, a lot of Google innovators, a lot of Google trainers, you know, be out there and be there in the front lines to help educators to just navigate, you know, that time of pandemic. And you're still doing it today. And now you're doing it in a different capacity. So let's talk a little bit about just that transition from, you know, education sure. into the edtech world. So give us a little bit of background on that. Yeah. So I think that I was in a good position where I had, so I should have said as well, that I was actually part-time. I was four days a week in my school as a digital lead. And on the fifth day, I would use that opportunity to learn what other people were doing, to go and explore, visit other schools. And every now and then I would have the, the fortune of going out and working with schools across Europe primarily, but every now and then I would go across the pond. And so I think I had an appreciation of just how much need there was for an authentic voice, almost like I, I'm a big fan of Seth Godin. And he says like, people like us do things like this. And I think when you've got that person who's in front of you, who's speaking from a similar perspective to your own, having been a teacher, et cetera, it's going to resonate that much more powerfully. And during the pandemic, I came across a tool called Moat. If anyone hasn't heard of Moat, we offer basically voice integration throughout Google's e ecosystem. And the reason that I fell in love with that is because I felt that one of the key things that we were missing was human connection. And I also know that I had colleagues that were working super hard to make sure that what they were writing was going to be received by that particular student in a particular way and making, and it wasn't like it was wasted time because what they were able to write was super powerful and they would have been very valuable to those students, but it wasn't them. It wasn't their voice. It wasn't able to be heard. It couldn't be then shared with the parents. I reached out to the team from Moat and I noticed that they didn't have many videos on their YouTube channel. So I offered to create something called Moat Minutes and Will and the team were thankfully were very receptive to the idea of that and they thought that they were okay. And then a few months later, I joined their, joined their team. One of the things I'm very grateful is that, and I would really encourage all edtech companies to do the same, was to make sure that you have a person, I mean, preferably more, more than a person, but people on your team that are in touch with educators, that understand or are more able to be empathetic with what teachers are going through, with what school leads are going through. Because I think that so much of what happens and what I see happening over here as well is that it's not just companies, but sometimes when there are new initiatives is they are, they feel very top downy. And I think that when you have, for example, a tool like Moat, where we grow almost entirely through our community and community advocacy. And one of the things I love about my job is being able to meet with and learn from and share with teachers and school leaders and tech integrators from all over the world and trying to make sure that what we do closely aligns to the problems that they're trying to solve in a way that is as simple and intuitive as possible. And I think that if I were to say to anyone that if, if they were thinking about stepping outside of the classroom, maybe, you know, maybe it's a permanent move, maybe for a year or two is to not be afraid to share like companies like us do spend a lot of time 
looking at what people talk about, like how they're sharing, what they're creating. You know, I know that there are some people that feel a bit funny about ambassador programs, but for us, it's just a wonderful privilege to be able to connect with people, to kind of act as a, act as a council of experts that we can do our best to try to make sure where we're not all, as you say, in the front line of the classroom activity is making sure that we are doing our best to not only listen to them, but to be as responsive as we possibly can be. So it's been a really, a really fun growth experience for me, particularly at Moat, where we are a small team and I do everything from still make the Moat Minutes bonds and, uh, but then, but it's those. It's the sort of community way that we can learn from them. And that's something that I'm really proud of is that that's not just something that we talk about. It's something that we do try to make sure that we keep true to what we do. You know, and that's one of the things that I think sets you apart from other platforms. And again, it's exactly what you're saying. You know, when I got to meet you at TCEA last year also as well, I mean, that was just amazing. And it was just like, we picked up right where we left mm -hmm. off as like, we've been friends for a long time. And this is the wonderful part that the community that you speak of is definitely great. The ambassadorship program is definitely great. There are a lot of companies that are out there that maybe are still developing their ambassadorship programs. And like you said, you know, there sometimes it's a little funny where it seems like it's more like, more like, marketing and you know so yeah. on and so forth but you know the how genuine you are and the e how to just even contact you easily and just to be able to speak to you and you're always willing to help is something that really sets you and your team apart you know from many others that are out there so i definitely you know agree that maybe you know other companies from the outside you know need to kind of find those teams find those that that are doing great with ambassadorships and yeah. mainly building that community because that's who you're that's really who you're learning from too as well and then you're giving back to them those solutions and when they see like oh wow like i brought this up and this is what they were able to do and it, you really have that buy-in and you see that sense of caring and genuineness but most importantly also you're seeing a team that is willing to help you succeed and help the students succeed because at the end you know it it's all for the students too as well so i love that so thank you john for the work that you do and will also for the work that you guys are doing with moat and the community that you have definitely brought up and are continuing to build. So I congratulate you on that and wish you more and more success and definitely more and more growth, you know, because you definitely have an amazing tool. And like you said, teacher that that feedback and for a student to be able to hear a teacher voice, giving them either the feedback of either correcting something or just some praise and all of that, it really does help a lot. And that's definitely something that I used to do when I was in the classroom. And I think it's something that I definitely need to start using a little more too now, you know, even with my teachers as well. So that would be something amazing. So now I'm getting some more ideas on how to do that in the more of the tech integration into teacher side of it. So definitely love that. All right, John. Well, Again, thank you so much, John, for sharing your perspectives, sharing your experience as a teacher, sharing your transition experience also into EdTech. It's been a very insightful conversation and very genuine, wholehearted. And I just, you know, like I said, very relatable from your transition to accountancy into education and then from education into EdTech. And, you know, who knows, maybe someday I'll be able to meet you in that transition too from, you know, this to EdTech. Who knows, you know, but really excited about that and uh, you know, the work that you're doing. But before we go, this is my favorite part of the show where we end the show with the next three questions here. And John, this is one of my favorite questions to ask a lot of the educators, creators that come here. So from your perspective, in the current state of education, what would you say is your current edu kryptonite? My edu kryptonite, my edu kryptonite it is um, in terms of something that I think is going to be super, super good or super not. No, it's like not good. Like it's the thing like Superman's weakness was. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought that's where we were going. It's, it's, it's a very un-British thing to sort of close on a negative font. No. I, oh, I, but we're going to end on a positive yeah, in a little bit, but this know, is one of the questions. I know. I think that for, for myself, I think it's that just as we said before, it's that sense of needing to stay in that zone of safety and for the response to lots of questions being, well, it's the way that we've always done it to kind of seeking 
what I think is sometimes faux safety in the comfort of, well, this is back to normal. And I think that whilst we keep doing that, it's going to be hard for things to change and certainly to change for the better. Excellent. That's a great answer, John. Thank you so much. All right. Question number two, John, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Do what you can't without a doubt. So do what you cannot. And I think that one of the reasons why is on a super personal note, like I, I was, I found myself for kind of the best part of 15 years of my life feeling crippled by a, by I had a really bad stutter, like terrible stutter. And I would shy away from lots of things that I would never have dreamt I would be on a podcast like this with you. And I think that some of the decisions that I made were so dictated by what I felt that I couldn't do rather than what I might be able to do if I pushed myself to the next level. So I think for me, that is that, yeah, do what you can't guys. I absolutely love that, John. Thank you so much for sharing. That really hit, you know, do what you can't. And Amanda shouts that out too as well. She's there in the chat. Thank you, Amanda, for sharing. Yeah. All right, John. And the last question, John, let me ask you here. If if this was the John Neal podcast and I was a guest on your show, what would be one question you'd like to ask me? I would like to ask you, Fons, because I know that you're interested in AI. How would you see potentially artificial intelligence changing the face of education, if at all? Do you think it will? Yeah, actually, you know, I'm actually going to be doing a presentation on that next week on AI and AI tools. Like for myself, I, yes, there there's a lot of people that may stand on the negative side of AI and so on. But for myself, I always look at it from just really the perspective of how can this help teachers make their not necessarily say like replace teachers, but how can we get better, better data? How can this help improve the student learning as well? And just making the learning more fun in the sense where the teacher is still going to be guiding the lesson. We know that the artificial intelligence for me is can never replace that teacher, that contact, that voice, that praise, what the teacher has to offer. But how can we enhance the learning experience with AI. And so for me, it's always looking for ways to enhance learning experiences for teachers to be able to feel more comfortable with who they are and be able to really dive in deep, dive in deeper into lessons. And also for the students to also feel like, hey, I have a tool that can enhance my learning that, you know, and we do now to some certain extent have platforms that, you know, are prescriptive for students to be able to say, hey, you know, there's this skill is one that you need to work on and it'll kind of prescribe a little bit more practice on that in that sense. So we're seeing those tools there, but how can we enhance that learning experience a lot better to, again, just change the classroom setting in a more collaborative way, in a more interactive way, and just really hit as many learning, you know, styles as possible, you know, may as, and really just have our students have fun and create in the classroom. So that's really where I look at AI and what can it do for me? Obviously there are ethical issues that we can get into, but that would be a whole other show. And I, and that's more for the grown up talk. But for me, I'm just like, how can this help? How can this help? And it's all for me, it's what can make education better? And really it's just that studying, looking through it and slowly seeing the potential that it has. And right now we're in a group, Amanda also too as well, we're talking about Web3 in education and how that can improve, you know, the future of education. So really, it's almost like we're way ahead talking about that, but we still need to obviously make sure that our teachers are equipped, that our teachers are informed, and that, of course, our students also have a good knowledge of digital skills and digital citizenship also as well. Very important. So, yeah, so those are some of the things that that I see that AI can do. So I'm really excited about what the future holds. And, you know, to me, I think that as we go through this, I always try to look for opportunities in, you know, certain difficult times. And I think, you know, like you said, a couple of things, some of the opportunities that we have as teachers is to really be thought leaders, try and, you know, those have those thought leaders come together and see what we can do to better the education landscape and, you know, really amplify our voices. And that's one of the reasons that I do this podcast to have education leaders like yourself to really 
let us know and see things from your perspective. And, you know, I'm taking something away from this and all our listeners will take something away from this that they can definitely sprinkle onto what they're already doing great and really try and get their message across as far as the changes that may need to happen. So yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. So that's a great question, John. Thank you so much. And I hope that you do get that start that podcast. That would be great for you guys to do as well. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. I think as you say, I think it's just one of those things as well where it's thinking about it is what lots of people do, but it's actually doing something about it. And hats off to yourself and all those other people that that have taken that step and are out there sharing amazing content and having great conversations. So thank you so much again, Fonz, for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, the pleasure is mine, John. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And as always, your authenticity, your genuineness, your kindness, and obviously just the knowledge that you share in, the, in amplifying your story has been very helpful to me too, as well as this is what I love. Saturday mornings, this is my escape. And this is where I just get to learn from everybody. It's my personal PD. So I really love that. So thank you as always. And for all of you guys that joined us, Mel, thank you so much for joining us. Amanda, thank you. Darren as well, Rochelle. And also a big special hi to John's mom. John's mom, if you're tuning in, hello. <laughs> you know, have, yes, have a swift recovery, you know. So your son is great. Awesome. <laughs> so I'm very yeah, I'm sure that you're very proud of him. So thank you as always. And uh, guys, don't forget to stop by our website at myedtech.life, myedtech.life. You can go ahead and check out this amazing episode and all the other 147 episodes also as well, where you can go and find some amazing guests and just some amazing knowledge that has been shared through all these podcasts that can help you sprinkle on to what you're all, excuse me, to what you are all already doing great. So please make sure that you also drop us a review and also visit our store, guys. We've got some great merch. We've got some new hat designs, shirt designs, and so on that everything that you purchase does go back to contributing to the mission of connecting educators and creators one show at a time so we can go ahead and change the education landscape for the better and sharing all our ideas. So thank you as always from the bottom of my heart for making my EdTech life what it is today. And until next time, my friends, don't forget, stay techie.